You may be seated. <clears throat> if you have your Bible today, please do turn with me to Luke, Luke's Gospel, chapter 8, or the particular text for today is on page 9 in your bulletin. And as last week, I'm going to not read everything here, but there are a couple things I'll just briefly summarize in addition to what we read here. So we'll pick up in verse 1, Luke chapter 8. Soon afterward, Jesus went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the son of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their means. And when a great crowd was gathered and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture, and some fell among thorns. Then the thorns grew up with it and choked it, and some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, these are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care, then, how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And for the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let's go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filled, filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, what, Who then is this, that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? This is the word of the Lord. Now, after that miracle story about the storm, there are three more quick miracle stories that happen, and they all kind of go together. One is a story about, you remember the guy uh, the, who had a legion of demons, and Jesus cast the demons out into the pigs on the hillside. The pigs ran down the slope and were choked, put the man in his right mind, and he came to Jesus, and he said, I'd like to go with you. And Jesus said, no, I want you to go back, and I want you to go home and declare what God has done for you. And then immediately after that, there's a story where he's going back to the crowd, and there's this ruler of a synagogue named uh, Jairus, and his daughter is dying, and so he asked Jesus to come and heal her. On the way, a woman who's had an issue of blood for many years sneaks up behind Jesus, touches his garment, and she's healed. Jesus stops and says, somebody touched me. The disciples say, come on, there's a crowd. How do you know? No, someone touched me, and he makes the woman come, 
And she declares what God did for her through Jesus, healing her. And then he goes on to the synagogue ruler's house, and on the way they come and say, nope, she's dead. Don't, don't bother the master anymore. And his words to the, to the parents are, don't be afraid. They get to the house, and everyone's weeping and wailing. He says, do not weep. Your daughter's not dead but sleeping, and he raises her from the dead. Keep those in mind as we move through this text. Father, we ask you now to bless us with the moving of your Holy Spirit in our hearts as we hear. In Jesus' good name, amen. Someone once said that preaching is turning ears into eyes. Turning ears into eyes. And I've thought quite a lot about that over the years. But, you know, you th- think about it. That's not just preaching, is it? Pretty much any time you and I are using words and talking with somebody else, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to take someone's ears and make them see something. If you've ever tried to help a little toddler, they're the cutest, when they're trying to describe something they've seen, you kind of have to coax out of them, like, what are you, what, you know, keep trying, buddy, you'll find the words, and they eventually are able to turn your ears into eyes that can see what they've seen. This is true in teaching, you're opening vision, coaching, you're opening things that were not seen before, friends telling stories to each other. It's the same thing, you're turning ears into eyes. Through the words of another person, worlds are opened to us. We get insight into things we didn't see before, and that is especially crucial where we really need to see well because we need to walk. We need to navigate. And if you think about this, hearing is a very personal thing. We've talked about this before. Hearing is actually, I think it's appropriate to use the word intimate when you think about hearing another person because through the words of another person, a mind is coming to your mind, a soul, a heart to your soul and heart through the words. This is not just a data transfer between machines. And I think that explains something odd that I'm sure we've all experienced, which is the experience, whether on the receiving or giving end, of hearing without hearing. Yes, the words, but you're not actually receiving the heart and mind and soul of this person through those words. Why is it that you all tune in to some people and not other people? You've got a gazillion people talking at you. Why do you tune into some and not others? And why, when people are fighting with each other, do you notice that they seem almost incapable of really hearing each other? Because, you know, having rejected this person, really, and, or rejected the relationship, or at least rejected working at it right now, you can't truly hear. You can't truly receive and understand, much less respond favorably to them. So there's something very personal about hearing. And interestingly, that's what this text is about. So last week... Luke showed us that in Jesus, God is speaking. In Jesus, God is communicating what both the Old Testament and Jesus himself call God's wisdom. And when you hear God's wisdom, the idea is that God has a master plan for his world. He has a master plan to bring his rule, his kingdom, to the world to heal things and make them well. He has a plan for Israel, for the whole world, for us and God is speaking this wisdom. He's, he's making known his master plan. It was hidden for a long time, but now in Jesus, it's like the, the curtain is torn and we're, we're able to hear from God what's really going on. And, and now, before he transitions to the next major section of his gospel, and we'll see next week, it's quite a big transition in chapter 9, Luke puts before us this very pointed question, so who's really listening? God is speaking. Who's really listening? Who is truly hearing God speak through Jesus in a way where they can now see, and seeing, they can now walk clear-sightedly? So I want, as we dive into this, just to take a moment and think about 
hearing without hearing. Hearing without hearing. So, you know, this is the parable of the sower, right? And up until now, it's interesting that Jesus has been throughout Luke's gospel just speaking pretty openly. It's a real mixed, mixed group that he's talking to. There's people, all kinds of different people from all walks of life, and they have very different responses to Jesus. You know, some of them are super enthusiastic. Many of them are pretty hostile. So he's just talking openly, just proclaiming the kingdom of God is here, and he's not trying to, you know, mask that at all. But this is the first time Jesus uses a parable. And that's important because it means that there's a shift here. Jesus, for the first time now, is speaking selectively. Because some people are going to get the parable, and that's all they're going to get. Some people are going to get the parable plus Jesus' interpretation of the parable and know what it means. But he's dividing now in the way that he speaks. When you see parables in the Gospels, Jesus is dividing his audience, speaking selectively. And the reason for him being selective here is concealed in the parable itself because in the parable, as he later interprets it, what we realize is that sometimes when God talks about his kingdom... Sometimes when God talks about his kingdom, talks about his rule in the world, people hear the message, but they don't hear it. They won't hear it. And what happens is they are hearing this message about the kingdom, and they will not hear it. They lose what they've heard, and God won't say anything else. God won't reveal anything else to them. He will take the word of his kingdom. He will take his kingdom and give it to somebody else. And so this parable is... First, not exclusively, but it is first about Israel in Jesus' time. I think N.T. Wright is onto something in pointing that out. When you read the parable of the sower, the first thing we ought to be thinking about is Israel in Jesus' time. That particular generation, because in a way, the parable is retelling Israel's story, isn't it? If you think about it, you know, rejection, the birds, rejection, the stony ground, rejection, the, the thorns and weeds. And that has been the story of Israel up until now. Rejection, rejection, rejection of the prophets. God's been speaking to Israel a lot of stuff, but they don't want to hear it. But now it's a new time. It's a time of good soil. It's the time when the good news now just openly announced, the good news of God's kingdom, what we call the gospel, or good news of the kingdom, through Jesus the Messiah. This is a good time because now it's finally going to bear fruit because God has a new Israel he's putting together. They have what the prophets call circumcised hearts, right? Circumcised hearts that are soft and they they receive the word of God's kingdom and they bear the fruits of God's rule as they receive the word of the kingdom. They hear and they really hear, but a lot of people hear and don't hear. There are many people Jesus is talking to then, and we'll see also now, their hearts are actually hard against the word, and so what happens after a while is they're going to get riddles. God's going to start speaking in riddles to them. It's the first hint that God is giving Israel in that time, he's giving them over to the hardness of heart. You guys know this well. It is not a good thing when God stops speaking to you. When God says, I won't say anymore because you won't hear anymore. That is bad news. God actually intends to make it so Israel cannot hear and understand what he's doing through Jesus because they don't want to receive it. And so the parables actually are a judgment. Interestingly, much like later tongues, you know, there's a lot of confusion sometimes about like why on the day of Pentecost does God start why is the gospel in all these foreign tongues? Well, the prophets said this would happen. They, ba- they basically said, so you, you Israelites in Isaiah's time, you think God is babbling like a child when he talks to you about his kingdom? Me, 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 me. Fine, I'll talk to you in tongues you can't understand. I'll proclaim my kingdom in tongues you don't understand. That's the day of Pentecost. Tongues are a judgment. But of course, 
what Jesus says here, it does apply to all who hear the good news of God's kingdom in all times in history, and it applies, beloved, even to us. I mean, you sitting here today, I assume you are Jesus people, your disciples, followers, listeners to Jesus, and you've received the good news of his kingdom. You believe that news. You're bearing its fruit. But this text can really help us check our hearing, even those of us who are disciples. Why do people hear without hearing? Well, first of all, Jesus says they hear without hearing because, first, some of them, their hearts are in the grip of a satanic no. No. Don't want to hear it. And that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, right? Like the devil, he's, you know, he's got one trick and he keeps using it, and he's been constantly assuring people, human beings, that what God says is true is false. You eat that, you'll die. No, no, no. In fact, the whole idea even of God, Satan just, he's always trying to get people to realize it's a myth. That's, you know, people in the dark ages believe that. It's a crutch. People make that up so they can feel better about life and have a sense of meaning. What God says is true is false. What God says is false is true. That tree is not your hope. It will not give you what you think it will. Oh, yes, it will. And the devil is just in people's ears. God cannot be trusted. He can't be trusted. I mean, some of what he says can be trusted, but certainly not everything he says can be trusted. If you obey God, you will lose. This is, you know, the, this is the chatter. And that's why when you preach the gospel of the kingdom, people very often, that satanic no is just there, and they just dismiss it, and they move on. And I think there is something here for disciples, you know, those of us who actually do believe the gospel. It's a good way to kind of check our hearing because, you know, among us, this kind of devilry shows itself in selective hearing. Any of you who have ever been a parent know exactly what I'm talking about. Your kids are, I mean, if the ice cream truck rolls up, they are all ears, but, you know, try getting them to follow a direction sometimes. We have selective hearing. God's rule, God being Lord, it is comprehensive. There are no, there's no like corner or closet you get to say, eh, you know, this is kind of my place. God's rule is, is just absolute, and everything God promises is to be believed, all of it. Every single thing God says, it is to be believed as true. Every single command that God gives is to be obeyed. It's to be obeyed, all of it, yes, all of it. And, you know, we've all probably been these Christians, and we've met these Christians. I know a lot of Christians, they have very big ideas about how the world could be set right, and their personal lives are studies in disobedience. Why? Because it's in the personal stuff where it's actually kind of harder to say, yes, Lord. I want the world to be made right by God. It's me I'm less excited about. Or a very big trend in our time where the culture has shifted on stuff. And who wants to look like a non-enlightened Neanderthal and you know, be part of that old stuff people used to believe about sexual ethics and so on? And so we've got to keep with the times, and we just keep on moving. Well, God means all of it. God is not running a popularity contest. But we can get selective hearing, even as Jesus people. There are certain things that God says, and I'll be honest, even as a pastor, I absolutely hold them at arm's length. I say yes to them, because, I mean, what, what are you going to say? I'm a Christian. But then I very quickly find myself dismissing them when it comes to putting them to work in my life. Why? Because they disturb my settled ways of thinking. I like my mental furniture where it is. 
and my settled ways of feeling and my settled ways of speaking and acting. There, I have certain dearly held beliefs and values and priorities. And when God's word gets into that, starts chopping it up and moving it around, I don't, it's not comfortable at all. And so it's easy to be a selective hearer or a selective doer. And you don't need me to say this to you, beloved, but it's good to be reminded from time to time, when it comes to the word of the Lord, the king, the sovereign, any impulse of dismissal, oh, psh, you can't, I can't really rest in that. That's not really going to pan out. Or I don't really have to change like that, Lord. Just be aware, that, that impulse of dismissal, that is very dangerous. But that's one reason. Kind of this devilish dismissal. There are also honeymoon hearers. This is another kind of hearer. You know, we can imagine this. We've probably seen it, maybe experienced it. When Jesus comes, you know, like who's, what's not to like about people getting healed, devils being cast out? This is some glorious stuff, you know. And people are initially drawn to the goodness of the kingdom. When God comes, good stuff happens, and people get drawn to that, and that's understandable. But then Jesus says they're not always ready for an actual relationship with this king. Because Jesus doesn't come just giving a bunch of benefits. He comes and he demands, as king, commitment to Jesus, to himself. And there is no back door on this. You know, one of the things that Sarah and I have often talked about in our marriage over the years is we are so very thankful that the day we got married in July 2002, there was no back door from that day forward. The door was slammed shut, locked, barred, and that's it. We're stuck in this, and I'm, we've been both been so thankful for that over the years because, to be honest, and any married person who's honest, they, they would say this, there have been times when either one of us or both of us would have been very glad to walk out. But there's no back door, and Jesus says there is no back door when you follow me. Discipleship, followership means this king, he is to be trusted, he is to be obeyed, he is to be walked with through literally whatever. And Jesus says people are not always up for that. They're honeymoon hearers. You know, they love the honeymoon. Does that ever happen among disciples? Again, it's good just to check our hearing, think about this a little bit. You know, don't, Peter says to Christians like you and me, he says, don't be surprised, beloved, when fiery trials come. Don't be surprised when it's hard. This is probably the number one thing that I worry about with Christians today. Comfortable Christians, and I'm one of them is I'm shocked at how many Christians, when God brings bad stuff, decide this is a deal breaker. I wonder with some of you sitting here today, are you really ready for God to drop a serious hammer in your life? I'm not saying that to accuse you. I have to ask myself the same question. I imagine scenarios where I think, you know what, I'd have a tough time. God does not owe you comfort. He does not owe you pleasure. He does not owe you an easy time at all. You are following Jesus. And that can be hard when God calls us. You have to endure. I don't like enduring. I want relief. Sometimes it comes, sometimes it doesn't. There are hard circumstances God brings us into. Times when faithfulness is demanding. Gosh. Or being virtuous is demanding. I've got to love through so much pain. It's hard. As a disciple of Jesus, even if you believe the gospel, it's still hard. And even if you're not tempted to jump ship, don't you find sometimes you can just get embittered? I had a conversation with God yesterday. God, why? Just let up. Bitter heart. And that's why we need the assurance that comes throughout the New Testament. Jesus saying to his people, I am with you. I am with you. I'm with you. We need that comfort so we're not honeymoon hearers. And then there are the distracted distracted hearers. And it's interesting, I like Jesus' language there in verse uh, 14. 
they hear it, and then they go on their way, right? Y'all going to walk out of here in a few minutes and be on your way. And as they go on their way, it's out there on the way, Jesus says, look, th- this is life, isn't it? There are many concerns. There are many anxieties. You guys, what stories you could tell, I'm sure. There are many possessions. Y'all got a lot of stuff, and you got to somehow take care of all this stuff and pay attention to all this stuff. And there are pleasures, you know, endlessly scrolling through pleasures. And these things they can begin to choke the word of the kingdom. And the issue is not for these hearers that they have lost so much, like those who need to endure. The issue is that they have so much. But more than that, it's that it's so real. C.S. Lewis is brilliant on this. He, there's, this there's this line in the opening Screwtape letter where Uncle Screwtape is writing to his nephew Wormwood. And he, it's, a, it's a great letter. You ought to read it, the whole thing. But he, he says at one point, he says to his uh, devilish nephew, he says, thanks to processes which we devils set, in work, set at work in these human centuries ago, they find it all but impossible to believe in the unfamiliar while the familiar is before their eyes. Keep pressing home on your patient the ordinariness of things. Don't let him get away from that invaluable real life. And the concerns that y'all are thinking about right now, the anxieties, they're real, right? you got possessions, you got pleasures, you got a life, and it's real. And there are many, many people who, you know, they could sit through a worship service, they could hear the gospel of the kingdom, they could hear, you know, the best preaching from the best passages and put it forward in the best way. And the reality is it's all fine and well, but then there's Monday, and I'm, I just got stuff to think about. And by the time they get to their car, it's, it, the gospel's va- vanished. And you know, beloved as disciples, we can check our hearing here too. We'll come back to this many times in Luke's gospel. Can I say this to you? You guys, like me, you all have good things God has given to you, and you have callings from the Lord, which means that your job, that's not a, that's not a detour from what God wants you to do. That is what God wants you to do. You have stuff to do, stuff to take care of. This, it's a calling from the Lord, but I, please listen. Those good gifts from your Father and those callings from your God, my gifts my callings from the Lord, stuff he's called me to do, pay my mortgage, raise my family, you know, very, be a neighbor, various and sundry things. All of that can, can serve Jesus' kingdom. And every one of those things can also become my kingdom. My kingdom. And actually distract me from seriously being focused on my king's mission. So those are, the, those are the ways that people hear without hearing. But it's interesting. While we can learn from all of that bad soil, and I hope that helps us understand a little bit sometimes why we encounter certain responses to the gospel, and it's helpful to watch over our own ears. The main point of this parable actually is not the bad soils. It's the good soil. Because Jesus now, you know, the prophets are gone, and here's now Jesus, the final word from the Lord, and he is here to prepare fruitful soil. I mean, why is he explaining the parable? Because he wants... To, to, to till up the good soil of his disciples' hearts, he is trying to encourage true hearers who hear and they hear. And he tells them in verse 18, take care how you hear because to the one who has and who hears, more will be given. He wants to keep pouring seed into these disciples. There's a whole lot more he wants to tell them when they're ready for it. But he's working on the soil so they can bear fruit. And imagine their shock in verse 21 when Jesus' mother and brothers show up And they want to see him, and he kind of blows them off, and he says, no, I want you to look around. These people who hear the word of God and do it, they're my family. So what characterizes 
these good soil hearers. We've looked at hearing without hearing. Now just briefly, I want to just think about true hearing with some examples that Jesus gives. You'll notice that Jesus actually gives a kind of scandalous example of good soil before he even gets to the parable. And it's these women who are mentioned in verses 1 through 3. Before we even get to the parable, Jesus has already illustrated what good soil looks like because these women, and that's interesting, in Jesus' time, of course, it was definitely a man's world. And women were, you know, just didn't rank like men ranked. But here are these women, and some of them are social outcasts like Mary Magdalene. Some of them are high-ranking noble women. You know, Joanna doesn't get too much higher up than the wife of the king's steward. You know, that's a pretty big deal. But whatever their social rank, they are you'll notice what's going on with them. Whatever else is going on in their daily lives, and you have to believe they had stuff going on, like we all do, they are devoted. Their focus is on being with the Lord and his disciples. So they've got, they got a life, but they are devotedly focused on being with Jesus and with his disciples, and they're actively contributing to his mission through, you know, probably money and other goods that they contributed. And why are they doing this? Because their life, their, their devotion to Jesus and his, his people and, and their giving from their hearts, it, it shows their heart's deep conviction that that kingdom from heaven that we've been waiting for since like the Garden of Eden, that kingdom from heaven, it is here. Jesus is, he's the embodiment of it. He's the king. They have really heard the good news of the kingdom. And they see clearly what's going on in the world. So Herod's household notwithstanding, there's this, <laughs> the kingdom from heaven. That's good soil. Now, Jesus, he points out in the, his explanation of the parable, we, we can't be boastful if we hear and we really hear. He tells his disciples in verse 10, it's been given to you to know the secrets of God's kingdom. It's not like, you know, oh, you're all that. It's a gift. To, you know, to, to know about God's rule is a fruit of God's rule. <laughs> like, if we know that God rules and Jesus is king and the kingdom is here, if you know that, then that shows that God is ruling. He's actually worked that in your heart. But Jesus does say in verse 18 that having, given, having been given ears to hear, so if God has given you ears to hear, you also have to train those ears. You have to train those ears. He says in verse 18, you take care also how you hear. So God has given you ears to hear, but take care how you hear. And look at how he describes this good soil that God prepares by his grace, but also which we are to tend and train. Look at verse 15. What's the soil? How does he describe it? He says basically at its root, it's an honest and good heart. It's an honest and good heart. And I tried to think this week, how on earth would I make that make sense? What is an honest and good heart? And the best thing I could think of was, has you ever heard anyone describe that person has an honest face or, or a, a good countenance, an honest and good face? I think that still communicates. And, you know, when you think about that language, what, what are we saying? I always look for this in young men because I was once a young man, man, I, I kind of know a bit about young men's inner world, and I'm always looking for this in the countenances of young men. Does this young brother have an honest and good face? And wh what am I looking for? Well, I'm looking for one of those faces that when you look in their eyes and you look at their countenance, you know you are not being lied to. This person is not squirrely or manipulative, doesn't have a chip on their shoulder. There's just an honesty and a goodness that comes through their face and you just have this sense as you look into their honest and good face that this is not some apparently wholesome veneer, but underneath is just rottenness. And I guess that's kind of what Jesus is getting at when he says the good soil, in verse 15, is an honest and good 
heart. You are not playing manipulative games. You're not trying to, you know, put on a spectacle to impress people. You are not one of those people who's going to talk a big game, but end up being a betrayer or a, you know, jump off the ship at the first sign of a storm. It's honest and good heart. And he describes it, this heart holds fast the word of God. It's a heart that says, I'm not always even very good at this, but I'm going to keep listening to Jesus. And I'm going to keep taking in, I'm going to be working on the fact that it bounces off, that I can, it could go in one ear and out the other, and I know that about myself, and I'm working on just really taking in the word of Jesus, the word of this kingdom, whatever may come, I want to just keep after this, holding fast to God's word, and he goes on and he says, and that good and honest and good heart, it bears fruit with patience. Now, thankfully, Luke gives us some examples, so we can picture this. I mean, the women, I've already said, Women, because they believe the gospel of the kingdom, they're given time. They're giving time to Jesus and his disciples. And they're giving money, and they're giving other goods to support his ministry. They're actively contributing. But then the, the four stories, the miracle stories that follow, are also stories about soil. Do you know another sign of an honest and good heart, holding fast the word and bearing fruit with patience? It's what happens when you get in a boat with Jesus and the storm comes roaring in. You know, the the disciples still look a little rocky here. Jesus, you're the king. We've seen you raise the dead. You've got it. You're Lord of heaven and earth. Ah, storm. And Jesus says, what's what's wrong with you guys? An honest and good heart is a quiet heart in the raging storms. Because my king rules them all. And he goes on. It's this demoniac, this former demoniac. God, Jesus cast legions of demons out of him. And he says, I just want to go with you, Jesus. I want to be with you. And Jesus says, no, you're on assignment. I want you to be willing to talk about what I've done. You want to hold fast my word and bring forth fruit of that word with patience? Christian, you need to be willing to talk about what Jesus has done in your life. He says, you go declare. Go home. Go to the people who are probably least likely to receive it. Go tell them. To this healed woman, she just wants to touch Jesus and disappear into the crowd. She's like some of you. We've got a church full of introvert women here. And I don't know how to get you sisters out of your shells. Jesus says, you come here. Speak up. You speak up. What has God done? She's trembling. She tells what God has done. Why? So the king, his power can be known. And Jesus says, you're a daughter in my family. Daughter, your faith has made you well. You're one of us. You're part of the family. And there's more. What does an honest and good heart look like? Holding fast the word, bearing fruit with patience. It looks like, beloved, please don't tune out with this one, these parents who lose their daughter. It looks like a refusal because of Jesus and the kingdom, a refusal to grieve without hope. The word comes, she's dead. Jesus says, you don't be afraid. You hold on to the word and bear fruit with patience. They find out they get to the house, everyone's hysterically crying. He says, don't weep. She's just sleeping. Our church lost a little one this week. The word of Jesus is, don't be afraid. Don't weep. That little baby is just sleeping. And what appears to be utterly lost, God will raise it from the dead. That's holding fast to the word and bearing fruit with patience with patience. 
It's steadily over time. And there are seasons, summers and winters. And you notice we do this together. They are those who hear the word. It's not just an individual Christian holding on with gritted teeth. I'm going to wrap up with this. I have two burdens that lie on my heart in a good way as a pastor all the time, and they're the same burdens that lie on my heart constantly as I try to raise four children, whom I love more than life itself. And these are the two burdens, and I want to leave you with these two things. One burden on my heart for you at Trinity. Guys, pay attention to your hearing. Can you look at me, please? Pay attention to your hearing. Pay attention to who has your ear. And ask yourself, not accusingly, but seriously, are you really hearing the word of the Lord? The word of his rule, his kingdom. Are you hearing that as a kind of lovely myth that just vanishes before the solidity of real life? Will it be gone before you get to your car this afternoon? Or have you come to see that it's real life actually that's the vapor? Your real life only has substance insofar as it is charged with the grandeur of reality himself. And as you hear, how's it bearing fruit? Can I ask you guys that? How's it bearing fruit? I didn't ask, is it bearing fruit? Because you would all say, yes, so would I. How is it bearing fruit? How is that word of Jesus bearing fruit in your life? I would like to sit and talk with you about that actually. And I'd like you to talk with me. How are you helping each other here? You're a church. You could all sit on a live stream and on your couch and listen to this alone. You're here. How are you helping each other here? Really here. Are you doing that? Pay attention to your hearing. But the second burden, that might seem a little hard. The second burden, I hope is more gentle. Be patient with your hearing. Be patient with your hearing. There is nothing magical or mechanical about this. Boom, word, fruit. It's not like that. We spend our lives in this workshop with our master, learning to hear, weeding our hearts, watering our hearts, plowing our hearts, preparing our hearts. We're able to do that only because our king has already graciously, lovingly, faithfully been at work in us, but we work, and we, it's a lifetime thing. So when Jesus says, take care how you hear, that's not a call to panic. It is a call to patience. Focus, yes, but patience. Keep hearing until that day when we will see in all of its fullness what we've heard with our ears. Amen. Bless these things to our hearts, Lord. Till the soil, in Jesus' name. Amen.